the most important product of the company is the team. Like you can't have the company without a great team. And I've been really thankful of the amazing team we've been able to put together. And overall, that's why we've been able to get to the point we are at now so quickly, just because of how strong our team is. Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now, let's jump into the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I am Christina Brady. I am the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly. And I want to kick off today by thanking our incredible sponsors, Vidyard, Blueboard, and Motion. Kicking it off with Vidyard, they are the video platform that is built for business. Your sales reps can use Vidyard to record videos that are going to grab their prospects and customers' attention better than any email. You can create personalized video experiences. You can track the performance and analytics, which makes my heart sing. And you can integrate video data into your CRM for follow-up. Definitely check out Vidyard if you are looking for a way to capture the attention of many. After that, let's talk about Blueboard. Blueboard is this incredible company where they are focused on providing amazing spiffs and rewards for your teams, but they do it in a totally unique way. So I was lucky enough to be able to be offered one of their legendary experiences. And so let's say that I worked at a company and I was rewarded with an experience. I'm able to go online, pick from a curated list of tons of different options for rewards. And I have a concierge that actually helps me set it up and then redeem my reward. And what's neat about something like that is thinking of like the afterglow effect of giving your teams truly something that is meaningful as a reward for them. Often we are left with giving somebody a happy hour or giving somebody a gift card or giving somebody cash. And that's nice, but you want that feeling of happiness that you can connect back with your company, especially right now where we are focused on employee retention, employee motivation, and employee morale, giving your employees highly curated experiences that helps them want to stay with you longer. They feel socialized with the company. They appreciate you. And it helps to build your team culture. Definitely check them out at podcast.blueboard.com. And I save my super friends at motion.io last. We could not produce this podcast without our incredible partnership with them. Uh, they are an awesome team. So Motion is a podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams and B2B tech. They launch podcasts just like this one and help create the audio, video, and written content for all of it. You can find them at motionagency.io. And that brings me to my incredible guest for the day today, Gabriella DeFlorio. Hello, welcome. Welcome to Taking the Lead. Hey, Christina. Thanks for having me. Excited about the chat today. Oh my gosh. This one is going to be one. I People are going to tune in. I'm, I normally don't give away what the topic is until we get started, but I'm going to in this case because we are talking about you're, you're one of the few female founders. You are a female founder of a tech company and your journey has a lot to do with that. So our topic of today is talking about how to become a female founder, how to put yourself in a position. What does that journey look like? What were the hills and the hurdles along the way? And so obviously your professional journey has a lot to do with that. Tell us a little bit about your growth, starting from, I mean, you've worked at Sherm, you were at Total Solutions, you were at Fountain, and at some point you were like, 
no, I'm a boss. I'm a founder. Here we go. And you founded uh, Prelay. So tell us your incredible story. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I think no story is the same, for sure. And mine, I think, is different in a lot of ways, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, a lot of my story starts back in Michigan. I came from the Midwest and definitely was not, I was surrounded by some technology, but not actual like software companies where I viewed that as my future. And I didn't necessarily look 10 years back and think that, oh, okay, I'll be a CEO and founder of a technology company in the future. So I didn't ever imagine myself being in the position I am today, but I feel really privileged around that. So when I first started, I actually, as you already mentioned, a lot of it was in very much in the HR tech world. So when you mentioned Blueboard and everything, I'm actually very familiar with them. And I really took to how can I better ensure that teams are able to perform better for one, and I can help impact the culture too. And that was just from like a macro level of like, I found HR tech to be quite interesting from that perspective. Now, I never really imagined myself of an entrepreneur or someone that would want to build something or like really own something of their own until it was a later point. But really what what I learned during my time of taking these risks and these opportunities to really learn for one and dive into new interests was that if you put yourself in the right position, you will, especially position of one for run, like taking the risk and the chance on a company that's growing, that you'll have more agency toward for one, two, you'll have more ownership at as well, that you'll really allow yourself to flourish and find what you're interested in. So for my journey, what I learned was at an early stage company, and that's really what I took to is for one, being able to surround myself by like passionate people that were really excited about what they were working on and wanting to build something for the future. Obviously that align also HR tech aligned with my interest in that sense too, of how can I think through people and process together and how that can grow together as well. And as time went on, what I really realized was that through hopping into an early stage startup, everyone's a generalist. Everyone has to hop in and wear multiple hats. You have to maybe dig into things that I never really did before. I think I always like to say I'm like a self-proclaimed designer, even though my designer <laughs> wouldn't agree with me. But it is something that inherently, if you get into the right position at an early stage startup, you can start to really learn a lot of things and figure out what do you really want to contour your career around and what really sticks to you. Unfortunately for me, it was the case of this is a great generalist opportunity and I'm able to grow this company from the ground up. And a lot of it was, how do we go to market with this product? How do we think through the sales motion here? How do we build this sales motion from scratch and make sure that this positioning is also resonating with the market we're going after? So it's for one, thinking through the motions and process and overall positioning, but also who do we have to bring on the team to be able to make sure that we make this happen? So a lot of it was team building, sales process, team building, everything to make sure that we are able to really think through the full go-to-market motion from sales to customer success to marketing. So luckily, but maybe unlucky that I was thinking that I would be able to find something within that realm that I wanted to specialize within. Like maybe I wanted to be really driving the marketing efforts and continue on with that or drive customer success or drive sales. But what I really found out was my strength was actually being a generalist. And I that's why I kind of stated in the beginning that not everyone's story is the same. And I think not everyone has to be great at one thing. I think there's a book out there, I'm blanking on the name right now, but all about generalists and how that can also be your strength. And that's what really started making me realize that if I'm able to do all of these things, generally speaking, that are quite strong, like 
could I maybe do something of my own when, for one, at these companies, I was helping grow them from zero to millions of revenue, working alongside of the CEO, thinking through strategy and everything, that I was like, okay, this is maybe my chance. I've worked with CEOs in the past. I feel like I can do a general sense of each thing, you know, whether it's design, whether it's thinking through the strategy of how we're going to market, thinking through the people and the types of people we need to bring on at the early stages. And that's where I really got that confidence. And I think without taking those risks, without taking any sort of opportunity that was in front of me, I like to think of myself as pretty opportunistic, just because you kind of have to be to take on that next level, as well as also overall being able to make sure that I was really thinking through what I wanted and what I was good at, what my skill sets were holistically. So I don't think I would have been at the place I'm at right now with Prelay without having those experiences, forcing myself to really take those experiences, even if they were uncomfortable, and also figuring out while I was working on these things, what was actually interesting to me. So getting to Prelay, obviously, I built out a lot of it due to scaling out orgs like this and thinking through like how we were super resource constrained and how could we get resources on these deals that were pretty big mid-market to enterprise deals that we were trying to sell to. And that obviously like underlying passion for one, but also confidence in myself that I could do it was a huge, like if anything, path forward for me to decide this is what I need to be building. I'm the one to be doing this. And it's not an overnight decision by any means. Like I thought through this a lot, like through like multiple weeks, months to try to think through if this is actually something I wanted to commit to for the next 10 years, because it's not for everyone. It's one of the hardest jobs. But yeah, that's a lot of my path. Like it was definitely a taking opportunities as they came and really making sure that I thought through my path holistically and what I really wanted to dig into. And also overall, just surrounding myself with the right people and everything. Oh my gosh. Okay, that was beautiful. And there's so many incredible nuggets to unpack here. Some things that I heard that just made me light up a little bit. And and one that I wanted, I'm going to dig into this one first. But when you said, I never imagined myself being an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of people would be surprised by that because they envision that like, if you're a CEO, if you're a founder, especially a female founder, where it's so much harder to crash through that ceiling, that like, it's something that you had always wanted and something you'd always envisioned. So you're saying like, I didn't envision this for myself. I want to dive in there. But you also talked about taking risks and taking the deliberate risk and being available when an opportunity comes so that those are kind of synonymous with each other sometimes. You talked about wearing multiple hats and putting yourself in the right place in the right time and that your strength is a generalist. Like all of these are really incredible insight that you have. So focusing in, never imagined yourself as an entrepreneur. When did you start to accept that you are in fact an entrepreneur? When did that hit? I think a lot of it was just thinking through myself and like your own best critic, but also you know yourself the best, right? Like you've gone through every point of life with yourself and you really know how you react to things when you are working your best and what type of motives you have for your life. And that was really what I thought through holistically. I, for one, I think there's no blueprint of a founder, but I did think through what are the job descriptions of a founder? And that was always like my case when I was growing my career. What can I prepare for? Like look at job descriptions that are like five, 10 years ahead and like know that I can do those things right now or something. And so with the founder job description, that's what I really thought through. I'm like, what does a founder need to do to be successful? They need to bring on a team. They need to be able to sell for one, because bringing on team is all selling and recruiting. You need to be able to sell a product. You need to be able to think through and have like industry expertise, all of these different things that in the end, I felt like I was able to do. I've had sales experience. I've done marketing in the past. I've grown very early stage startups. I've been around product in the past and positioning around that product. So it was all things that I felt like I was fit to do for one. 
But then there is a side of it where it's not just skill set. It's also more of emotional capacity and being able to handle lots of different types of people and being able to be empathetic, but also really think through pragmatically what needs to get done. And so from my past, that's really what I thought through. And my past was, I was an athlete in the past. So a founder, I feel like you have to be extremely competitive and just always at the grindstone. And that's very similar to being an athlete, especially a runner, right? You're running toward, um, running toward goals that you're training for months at a time. And so I started off as an athlete and during that time I was a runner specifically. So with lots of running goals, similar to entrepreneurship goals, there's a lot of training that has to get involved to achieve these overall goals that you'll be achieving at these large championships. And over, over again, each day you have to prepare on like small miles, everything inches across the board. And really what, you know, with entrepreneurship, it's the same thing that I realized. You're constantly plotting away each and every day, each and every hour thinking through the best strategy to get your product to market, the best strategy to bring team to the table, best strategy to make sure that you're actually becoming successful with this company. And so that grit that comes with that and the overall grindstone that just comes with that of having to grind at that every single day is very similar. So I realized that for one, and I think it just makes you a lot tougher, right? And I think one last thing is that I think a lot of salespeople think through this too, of how do I interview somebody to figure out if they've dealt with adversity or have dealt with anything tough and had to grind through it. And I think that's huge, yes. that's huge. And I think I reversed that to myself of like, can I deal with these really tough things that founders have to deal with? Like, is this something I could deal with? And back in college, I dealt with like seven different surgeries and injuries that on my legs that left me like not being able to walk for years at a time. And so it really was a huge learning experience for me of having to push through really hard things and that you have to become opportunistic and you have to be able to just like push through because you're going to get through it either way. You can't really think through like how tough it's going to be. And so both of those things combined of athleticism and going through tough things on the emotional side was another reason why I was like, all right, I think I can do this. But it wasn't until I think lastly, the last piece was working with the CEO and being surrounded by startups. That was where I was like, oh, this is the job description. Like this is what happens every day. But it's hard to do that unless like you're actually working in that environment. So I was very lucky and huge kudos to the CEOs I worked with in the past that really helped me get to this point as well. Well, also kudos to you for taking the experiences that you had and using them to create. I mean, it's scar tissue, but scar tissue is also strength. So many of the incredible women and people that I talk to, they have this adversity that they're having to get over. And that, I mean, being an athlete, these leg injuries, not being able to walk, like these are massive things that people can't even imagine, but it gives you a paradigm shift, right? It's like a hard day for you. It's a little bit different because you're like, I've been through worse than this and I've made it through 100% of the hard days that I have had. So this is nothing because mm -hmm. I got through that. And I find that like that grit, I love that you mentioned grit too. So let's get super tactical because I, I really want to dive in on this. So where, how, when did you get the idea for Prelay? Yeah. So at my latest company I was at, it was called TrueWork. Um, still in the HR tech realm, like I mentioned, I was kind of always in that realm. I guess we, it was a mix of HR tech, kind of like thin tech area. We were doing employment verifications, but a huge thing with employment and income verifications is collecting a mass amount of private data. And so throughout that process, we are always figuring out like, how do we sell this to people without like having to go through mass security, privacy, a ton of different types of questions that cropped up. 
fortunately, as everyone learns, you can't skip over those things. And those are incredibly important as you're going through the process. And so unfortunately, that's where I would have to hop in to help out sales reps to really be able to make sure that we are fulfilling those needs. Also, typically on the product end too, like a lot of questions would crop up and they would need this kind of product expert. Either they'd be pinging my CEO and I'd have to hop in or vice versa. And I would typically have to hop in and provide more context there. So that was one thing of, you know, overall, how can I ensure that throughout this deal process that might be an enterprise mid-market deal where a rep does need support? They like even at a small startup, whether or like a company like IBM, they a rep needs support around it to make sure that they can fulfill the buyer's need as much as possible and really have these experts hop in. And what I really found with that was that there's this kind of miscommunication of it because for one, reps have plenty of questions. Reps have plenty of questions on one deal, let alone they have multiple deals. And then the person that's helping them is also supporting multiple reps. So that really came to me as like something that I really wanted to work toward was like, for one, internally on this organization, how could I just streamline a little bit, like build out something internal, like a queue or something super simple. But that's where I started really thinking through. I'm like, we're not the only ones that deal with this every day. Like I know that there's companies with like solutions engineers that are hopping in with product specialists hopping in. And how are they actually getting all this context around the deal as they're trying to get looped into multiple questions, deals, requests? How are we tracking all of that? And how are they making them super productive? Because I, I know I'm missing out a lot of things because I was slowing up the deals typically because of that. And so that's where I realized that maybe I could build a product around this at least to start. And maybe there's much more around this that I could actually start to build. So that's where I started digging in and doing more user research. And it was pre-COVID. So, you know, we'd get people to grab coffee and we would <laughs> talk through all the problems they were having around this and really came through this very concrete kind of hypothesis around ensuring that the team can be able to have proactive context of what's happening on the deal. Because currently, sales reps were waiting on a lot of re like requests. They were waiting on a lot of responses on, especially even when they were distributed prior to COVID, they were waiting on a lot of responses from people in different locations. And so that really came to me of like, for one, it's not only impacting internal, but it's also impacting the buyer. Like the buyer's waiting on this request and this question where I've actually been in that state of purchasing a solution and waiting on these questions or requests, and it took a while. And so that's where I really wanted to figure out how can I drive more internal collaboration around this to make sure that we're really getting back to the buyer as quickly as possible on any needs and really make sure the full team's fully aligned. So that was like the initial point of like prior to build out, I really took the approach of go to market first, then product last. I think oftentimes a lot of entrepreneurs and founders go product first, then go to market next. But I, I think if you don't know the distribution of your product first, like it's really hard to figure out what to build, the problem you're solving for and all those things. So it's something I feel pretty opinionated on that you need to think through, who are you building this for? What's the problem you're solving for? And then how are you going to get this to market as well? So that was really a lot of, for when I had pain points in the past, and obviously even prior to that, we, I had another company, Fountain, we are selling internationally to large companies like Ubers, The World, lots of on-demand companies. And we're trying to figure out how do we go more international? But it was very difficult with those type of companies because we had to sell to different regions in different ways. So it was, we had to guide the team a lot to be able to figure out ways to get into those places as efficiently as possible and get through the close date as efficiently as possible as well. So I had a lot of experience of just operationalizing how we're actually scaling out that motion and everything. So it's been pretty cool. Like I think being able to not like before I was Mac micro level helping like operationalize a lot of this, but now macro level being able to help out and have that impact across the board around 
how people are scaling out and growing the core of their business. Cause obviously revenue, if you don't have revenue growth, then you're not growing your business at all. And that impacts enterprises alike, mid-market alike. And that's really what's been awesome working on Prelay is working with all those revenue leaders, figuring out how they can be as effective as possible across their team on all these pretty complex deals for sure. My gosh, Gabriella, you're such a badass. Like, <laughs> I think that there are so many people who don't necessarily have the skills or the acumen or know how to get them to even follow those thought processes. Like one, when you mentioned the coffee meetings of just like, let me sit down with people and talk about this idea and create some energy here and know the problem that you're trying to solve and then figure out how am I gonna solve this with a go-to-market strategy and do I have a company? And so you've done all of this work, all of that interconnectivity that you just talked about, all of that groundwork, and now you decide, yes, I'm not going from maybe I should start a company to I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a company. There's a problem. I can solve it. Now what? Do you have to like go secure funding? Do you hire people first? Do you like go ask your parents for a loan? Like, what did you do? I know I, I tried parents, but they, they wouldn't give me all the millions of dollars, unfortunately. But no, I, <laughs> no, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just talent again. I think I like to think of my job as a CEO is like, how can I, be bringing on the best people and people that are far talented than I am. And so that's what I did with my co-founder. So right when I had that idea and I really started narrowing down on it, I approached a couple people that I felt like were would be top candidates to join me on this. And one of them is my co-founder Enoch. He had a very complimentary skill set to mine. Like for one, like we just completed SOC two. So props to Enoch on that end. Wouldn't have been able to do that without him. But <laughs> Yeah, he was able to do he knew a lot of the security acumen around, especially since we're wanting to work with pretty large companies, it's really important to have off the bat. Additionally, he built out the core infrastructure at a company called Heap Analytics in the past. So he knew his stuff. And I knew from the start that we I think the really big piece with that of like briefly with co founder, like finding the right one. It's all about values in the end. It's all about understanding what their values are, what are their goals and motives for this company. There's plenty of people that want to just like go build a company for six months and then just kind of head out. But there's not a lot of people who want to stick around for the next 10 years and build this together and be able to see something grow massively. And that was something that we both were aligned on that we wanted to build something pretty cool together. And he's like very opinionated as well, just like I am. So we push back on each other on different topics and everything. But yet we're both kind of I like to think of us as pretty down to earth and really caring of one another and our team as well. And I think that just really meshes well with one another as well. So I think it's really important to find key values, but also skill sets that align in a sense skill sets. Complementary is really great because then you can kind of cover a lot of ends there. And so, yeah, I really lucked out, you know, as a non-technical female founder for one, I think coming from left field on that one, it's definitely more difficult, but I think once you get traction on it, you can just keep it going and the momentum just drives you forward. And I think I was really thankful of my background that helped me to that being able to bring on a great co-founder, but not everyone can kind of have that experience. So what I would suggest to that is just being able to really dig into the idea and problem space so detailed to the point where no one can prove you wrong. And I think that's really important. If you have that data backing you, I think that's all you need. And yeah, and beyond that, I mean, I think that's right when in general funding and team come together, right? It's like, I mean, obviously, like you have to build a product and sell something, but that's like at some point in time. And yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's important too. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is I think the most important product of the company is the team. Like you can't have the company without a great team. And I've 
been really thankful of the amazing team we've been able to put together. And overall, that's why we've been able to get to the point we are at now so quickly, just because of how strong our team is. So a lot of it was thinking through what type of team members do we need? Like I said, we did need to build a product. So we did need to bring on some engineers that were incredibly talented and bring on a great product designer to really make sure that our product looked great as well and was intuitive for users. And then as time goes on, obviously, a lot of that comes into play of bringing on go to market and everything as the product is ready and everything. So yeah, a lot of it is team basis, obviously, funding is the next level of it. And yeah, it is a unique experience of being a female founder of fundraising, you know, obviously, the environment is, especially in the enterprise space, is typically on the older scale for one, and then also typically males. And I like to think of it yeah. as, for one, a fun challenge. And then also, I like to think is it's nice to be unique. And I think the, the coolest thing with being unique is like, you can stand out, right? And I think people are more likely to p- listen to people that might stand out a little bit more. And I like to take advantage of that, even though I am a little bit different, I think that unique actually can help with driving the company forward as well. So I found it fun. I I think fundraising is just like sales. You're constantly just trying to kind of prove value of why they should be investing in something. And whether that's sales and they're buying your software, they're trying to buy some sort of equity of your company. It's the same thing. And I like the competitiveness of it. I like the kind of storyline of it. It's all storytelling as well. And it's a really fun time. But I think there's a point in time where you focus on fundraising, and then it's time to move on to the team. But it's definitely a it's definitely a fun time. I'm not surprised that you have been able to find incredible people because I think great people are attracted to great and strong leadership. And when you mentioned your uniqueness, if the world learned to embrace uniqueness as an asset, we'd be in such a better place. And so I think leading the way by that, I you're going to have great people who follow you because you're a motivational and inspirational person. You're fearless, you're brave. And I think people are attracted to that. So I think that's a huge part of it. And what I'm listening to is you're also an incredible planner and you make data-based decisions. You're not afraid to take risks, but it sounds like you take calculated risks. Like you're not careless about it because the message here isn't do something careless, do something crazy. It's like use data use your intuition, use the market knowledge and make da- like take the risk that is the calculated risk. I think that's a, a great point, Christina. Yeah. One thing to note there is like calculated risk is a huge thing that I'm super opinionated on as well is like, I teach at the University of Michigan, uh, Rock School of Business, a lot of their like sales methodologies, classes, everything. I do it like once per semester or whatever. And a lot of what I teach them too is around early stage startups and how do you break in and everything as a non-technical person. And a lot of it is what I mentioned is calculated risks, right? How do you think through the risks you can take that potentially won't take you completely off course, but you'll at least put yourself in a position of maybe a little less comfort, but it's going to be for the better and like the growth of your career and everything. So I definitely agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. And even the best planners sometimes get derailed. There's things that you just can't foresee. And I can imagine at some point through this journey, you had moments where you were caught off guard or you had a big learning moment or you got derailed. Um, Tell us a little bit about some of the unforeseen circumstances that you've had to navigate along the way. What should future female founders be aware of? Yeah, let me think. I mean, I think the funny thing is exactly like that. It's You're always going to get derailed. Like I think today, even like other days, like, There's so much that goes on to a founder's day that you end the day and you're like, what just happened? (laughs) There's so much. So I think that overall, like really thinking through like getting derailed, I think when you go back to planning, because like I feel like I've been lucky enough where 
there hasn't been any like extreme, like I guess one derail piece was like, I felt like when we were raising our, our pre-seed, we were ready to raise. We were ready to go after and raise this massive round. And hindsight, I look back and I was like, we were definitely not ready. We were ready to raise a pre-seed and it worked out perfectly. And we raised from amazing people, but some of the best in Silicon Valley. But it ended up that I was obviously, I felt like we were so derailed. I was like, I want to get going. I want to go fast with this. And I want to be able to make sure that we're growing this company. But I felt like, oh, like these investors don't think I'm good enough. Like they don't think that the team's good enough, my co-founder and I, and I want to be able to grow this faster. But what I realized is that they were right. Like we weren't ready to get to that next rung. Like we didn't have a product in hand. We didn't really have a clear kind of positioning at that point in time. And it wasn't, it just wasn't clear enough where this would fit in the market explicitly. So that was where you take that derailing that happens and think through, okay, what's next versus like, oh, I'm so sad, like, we're not going to raise this huge round right now, we're gonna have to raise a smaller round and then go on from there. If anything, we were like, all right, great. What else do we need to do to make sure this happens? Like, what can we do in the next six months to make sure that we can be able to get to a point where we can raise a round that's massive, and that's really exciting, and that we're really proud of. And that's where we are like, all right, we're gonna build out more of the product, we're gonna make sure we get in front of some really core customers that actually want to use us. And that's where it started building more momentum. And I think with anything, with any problem that comes into play, and that's what I've really learned across every day in small circumstance, what's the solution? Like, what can we do to make it better? Like, I like to think of it as like, if I'm going to make one mistake and take a step back, how can I take like five steps forward after that? And I would say the biggest like derailing kind of piece that like, at least I've seen, obviously there's like a lot of other things, to be honest, like there's lots of small things that happen throughout the day. But I think when you're a founder, it, everything kind of seems small at some point, for sure. Oh my gosh, the idea of fail forward. I love that you said that because it's like, you're going to trip, you know, but hey, if you're on the ground, roll, you can still Absolutely. move forward. You know and I mean, like you can still go there, you're going, you know, but get there. So before we jump into our rapid reveal set, um, for any human being who's listening today, who has a spark or a passion or an idea, and they say, I, I think I might want to go start a company. I want to go do this thing. It's unbelievably intimate. Um, what advice would you give to that person right at that stage of, I think I want to go do this? What would you tell them if you could get them all in a room? Just do it. I mean, I think that was one thing that I was questioning. I was like, oh, should I be a founder? Should I go build something? Should I like go do this? And one of my friends, good friends, that's like an uh, investor and has seen lots of companies, he's like, why not? You won't know until you try. And now I look back at him I'm like, well, we, I really tried and now we're really far along here, but it's good. Like, I think it's really good to test your limits. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, I always told myself, hey, I'll go get a job tomorrow. But then now it's at a point where I'm like, this doesn't work out. I'm going to be very sad because this is something I love. And I wake up to every day and I feel so energized and I'm really proud of what we've built thus far. But yeah, I would say that overall, like just, just try it. And I think don't start large, like it's going to be a long haul. So it's thinking through what's the problem? What's the space I want to be diving into? What am I actually able to build? And what are you passionate about in the end is going to be very important across the board. Mm. I love that. Well, that is the roadmap right there. And I think that's the best advice you could have given. If you are that person that is sitting there and saying, maybe I'm going to be a founder, maybe I want to start a company, I have an amazing idea, just do it and surround yourself with smart people who will help you make calculated decisions and who will guide you even when it's really, really hard. And you can't take it with you. We get one shot at this thing called life. So give it a shot do it. You never know. It certainly worked out for you, Gabriella, and not by accident. So 
Let's dive into our rapid reveal as we are nearing the end of this. So those of you who are frequent listeners, you know, at the end of every episode, we do our rapid reveal. It is five questions that are meant to help us understand and learn about our guest a little bit more. You have 60 seconds to answer each. Gabriella, are you on board? Yes, I'm on board. Okay, great. All right. So first one, this one's always funny to me, makes people in your seat squirm. And that's part of the fun of it. But when's the last time you were really angry and why? Yeah, that's a good question. So I feel like I don't know if I get angry. I feel like frustration is a thing that comes to me. And Mm. but I think the biggest thing that comes across is like from honestly, recently, like last weekend, we had our first company offsite. And we had planned it to a T. We are going out to Tahoe, got this great house for the team to be able to hang out in and spend time with one another and meet each other. It it sounds like an amazing time, right? And then fortunately, we have amazing nights, go to sleep. And we woke up in the middle of night to like 700 AQI out there, super smoky. And I I wasn't frustrated at the time where I felt like I had to get the, the team out of the house and we had to get going and make sure that they weren't having any health issues. So we had to run off pretty quickly. But after that, oh I was questioning, I'm like, oh, like, did I do the right thing as a leader? Did I feel frustrated that it didn't work out like we thought we would be able to do these different events and all these different things to help make sure that we brought the team together? But what I realized was that it was, you kind of have to just run with emotions. You kind of just can't really have always a playbook. Like sometimes things are going to crop up and you have to just keep going with it and just figure out a solution and keep rolling with it. And, you know, even if it's a hard decision to make, you kind of just have to make it for the best of the company and the team. And so, yeah, it was frustrating. So I was like, oh, I wanted to have this amazing time, but we were able to pivot and go off to another location and still enjoy it as a team. And I was very proud of my team to be able to just hop out and still really enjoy the offsite and everything. So. Oh, shout out to team Prelay. What an, what a wild experience. (laughs) All right. Number two, what's an, (laughs) what is an irrational fear of yours? So another thing with Tahoe that made me realize this was I'm terrified of wild animals. I'm a runner. So I love running in trails. Like absolutely (laughs) love it. But you don't know what else is out there. You don't know what's out there. Like mountain lions. And the worst thing for me is I set myself up for this. Like I go down rabbit holes of like different like mountain lion sightings and all these things. And you wonder why I run through trails and I'm terrified. I'm like, oh, is there going to be a mountain lion here? It's not a fear I should be worrying about all the time <laughs> I run. It's, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's a little bit more understanding where you live. I remember when I was in like the third or the fourth grade, there was this whole segment in one of my science classes about like what to do if you encounter a bear. I live in Illinois. Like I lived in a suburb of Illinois. We didn't have bears like walking. Like you could go as deep in the woods as you want. And the worst you're going to see is like, there's nothing here. And so it was like this hour long subject of like what to do if you encounter a bear. And I was like, should I be expecting to see a bear? And it just, it stayed with me. So I'm with you, but you actually are more likely to see something wild than I am in Illinois. We've got like weird pigeons here. It's bizarre. I'm glad you uh, confirmed my fear here. So maybe it's not irrational. <laughs> we'll validate that. Okay, number three. <laughs> when was the first time? <laughs> when was the first time that you were truly inspired? Yeah. So going back to my days where I had lots of surgeries and adversity, I had definitely some battle wounds. Right. I like had to get just cut open and everything to be able to make sure my legs were able to be fixed. 
And I was always so self-conscious about that. I was like, oh, I have these scars on me and I don't want to run with these. I don't want people to see them. So for years at a time, I never really showed them. I'd always be hiding them and everything. But I saw this professional runner, Gabrielle, she went through about six scares of cancer and she was a professional runner and just ended up at this point in time, had to get her whole abdomen cut open. And she, for one, did that two weeks later went to go compete as a professional athlete for Brooks and then had this huge scar and it was fully shown. And so I messaged her saying like, Hey, you inspired me to go do like, go do this and not be afraid of my scars and my battle wounds. And she answered back and she was like, Hey, this is really helpful to me. I'm going through my next thing of cancer or whatever. And she ended up talking about it on like one of her interviews. So it was like super inspiring. And then fortunately she passed a few years ago, but so super inspiring. Oh my gosh. Well, it's, yeah, and mutually, it sounds like you inspired her and you were a meaningful part of her life too. My, that's, I could do an entire episode just focused on, I feel like, your adversary and what you, went, what you went through. Okay, number four, what should we know about you that's not on your LinkedIn? So I'm actually a fierce Tetris player. So I didn't figure this out until oh. recently, until I realized that I played a lot of Tetris mm-hmm. when I was growing up. So When I go to the arcade, which is like not that often, but if I do go there, there's Tetris there, it's dangerous because I'll be sitting at Tetris for like 45 minutes and I can get through like 45 minutes of Tetris and not die off. So it's another skill that I have that I typically hide and now I'm putting it out there. (laughs) It's out there. Get ready. I feel like you're going to be challenged, right? You're going to be like, no, I'm the best. (laughs) Get ready for it. Well, now I feel like I have to put it in my LinkedIn bio to really, really put it out there. Yeah. (laughs) Now you do. Now it's out there. All right. And the last one, number five, if you had one message that the entire world was guaranteed to hear, what would it be? Yeah. So I watched Olympics recently and there is this incredible track athlete that did broke the world record and everything. And there is this quote she said after an interview of somebody saying like, don't you get nervous coming out here and performing on this like large stage? I love it. Well, this has been a fantastic chunk of time that we have spent together. I have loved learning about you and your background and the challenges you've overcome and sharing with us the ins and outs of how you did what you did in founding and starting your company. Well, thank you for being a wonderful guest of Taking the Lead. Everyone who is listening, we will see you next time. Thanks again, Gabriella. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.